There we go, honey. Okay. All righty. Braylon and Wolf, you have to start over even though they heard you. The recording wasn't recording till now. <laughs> All right. Well, very exciting, as I said, to be on the alumni call. That yes, is uh, for anyone who has graduated from the Quick Start Real Estate School. And we graduated from that uh, about 15 years ago and have taken it uh, very far. Now, we have our own office in Arizona and work with our family and other acquisitionists and uh, have a thriving business, and we want to do everything in our power to get you get your business thriving as well. So uh, you don't need an office like us, but you do need a phone and uh, a level of commitment. And I talk about commitment uh, once in a while when I get a chance, and I talk about it at the quick start, actually, on that first day when we do the lunch. And so hopefully you guys are, if you're on this call, that's good. That's, that reflects uh, a good level of commitment. Uh, your commitment, remember, I always like to talk about how your commitment is measured in minutes. So if you guys are spending your 7 to 10 hours a week productively now and you know if you're being productive with your time or not, or if you're just kind of, you know, playing around on the Internet, uh, but if you're doing the productive things, then remember the highest and best use of your time is closing calls and deal meetings, uh, basically interfacing with sellers and buyers. That's when you're making your money. That's when you have the chance of signing a contract, and contracts lead to Hi, everybody. This is Lynette and Brian again. <laughs> We're definitely having uh, technical issues there. So. so when did I drop off oh, there? Uh, just now. We were talking about going to the Quick Start Real Estate School and commitment. Yeah, so obviously commitment is measured in minutes. I like to talk about that. So seven to ten hours a week is what we want you doing and, you know, investing your time wisely. And, again, the highest and best use of your time is your interactions with customers, your closing calls, your deal meetings, and your open houses when you're selling or talking to buyers, meeting them. So those kind of, that's the highest and best use of your time because that leads to contracts, which leads to checks. That's so right. that's where we want to get you guys. We get, want to get you guys getting one to three checks a month, uh, big checks. Uh, you know, at least ten grand, and uh, at least one, and hopefully three or five even, uh, and hopefully a lot bigger than ten thousand. So uh, we're going to cover some of that stuff today, right, hon? That's right. So a uh, little housekeeping, real fast. Like Brian said, if you've been to alumni, um, I mean, if you've been to the Quick Start, you should be on this alumni call. Mark your calendar. It's the fourth Monday of every month at seven p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. 
and 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, put that in your uh, in your phone as a reminder. Just talk to your phone to remind you so you don't miss any of these incredibly valuable, uh, you know, action-packed, fulfilled um, uh, seminars. Now, we actually, in this teaching, in this next hour, we're not only answering all your questions, but a couple of you guys have sent in lead sheets. So um, whether you sent in a lead sheet or not, go ahead and hit star six to get in the queue. If you hit star six, that will uh, get you in the queue. Don't hit star six twice because then you're out of the queue. Um, so hit star six to get in the queue. If you have any questions or even if you didn't send in a lead sheet, uh, right now we uh, – let me see who's in the queue. The operator. Who do we have as our operator today? Hmm. I don't hear any operator. But I do see Brian. Yes. I see there's people in the queue, but there's no operator to put them in. I don't hear the operator. Shannon? Okay. All right. So we'll just keep talking until we get more people in the queue, I guess. <laughs> we have to figure out how to process our leads. Now, that's another thing you guys have to figure out. So let's say you have people in the queue. You have leads that you've gotten. Now, what does a lead mean? What, what does a lead represent? It, it's a person on the selling side, a person with a house for sale. So it's so you talking. Now, there's a difference between a lead and an opening call completed. Now, when you have a VA working for you or someone else, a FISBO caller, and they actually call somebody with a house for sale, whether they get it off Craigslist or Zillow or driving by a sign or wherever they get this lead, and they call. Oh, sorry. Okay, now they're on phone. I just want to make sure. Okay. Yeah. And so when you initially have that uh, basically a phone number or, you know, a, a couple of pictures on uh, Zillow or something like that, and a phone number or contact number, that's not, that's, that is not, uh, that's a lead. Okay, now this is the fine distinction where people get confused. This is a person with a house for sale, but, and we say we want you to get 20 leads per month at least. Well, I want you to get 20 closing calls done. So I don't want you to have 20 of these, you know, uh, leads floating around where they're a piece of paper with a number on it. Uh, I want it to be a completed opening call. So that means that you've called this person and you've gone through that opening call lead sheet or your FISBO, your FISBO caller has or your VA has. Somebody's talked to this person and at least, you know, opened up the, op, the, the possibility of them giving you time to pay, to get paid off in full. So ask at least you know, ask a little bit about either lease purchase, owner financing, or both, and or at least mention, you know, could we could you wait to get paid off a little bit? All right, so that's as long as you've done that, that's a done opening call. So that's to me, that's a real lead. So after when you guys come to the, now, you all know you can come back to the Quick Start School for free for a year, and for what is it, five hundred bucks after that, honey? Yeah. So if um, you guys come back and we say bring leads. Now you go, what's a lead? It's, and it's not just the Zillow listing printed off. 
and it's not just a, you know a phone number you got off of a sign with you know an address. It's you have actually called and talked to them and filled out that opening call script. Okay, so it's you know that's the one that says property lead info script across the top. And so that's when your VA sends you that, if you're using a VA, uh, that's, that's a done opening call if all the spaces are filled in. Okay? So then you're ready to do your closing call. Now, what I'm, what, like what we were saying before, Lynette and I want you to make 20 closing calls minimum. Okay, I'll say 20 minimum in a month. And Her Lynette week. will say, yes, she always says a week. I so you can go fast. The faster you make closing calls, we actually have a really cool form called 50 Closing Calls Checklist. And I love that form. Yeah, I'll it's a bunch of boxes, and you just check off the boxes. And so when you are, the faster you can make 50 closing calls, the faster you're going to have probably two deals, maybe three, depending on your conversion ratio. So what, you, what we want you to do is uh, you've got about two, two, almost two and a half months Till the end of the year. So what I would think your target should be, if you have not done a deal yet, now if you're somewhat systemized, if you don't even have your cards done yet and you don't have a website and you haven't picked a phone number for sellers to call yet, those things are top priority and that's going to probably take a couple weeks or something. That doesn't mean you can't start doing deals right now, but that's, you know, you got to get your infrastructure in place because you've got to have some kind of you don't have to build a brick-and-mortar business here, but you've got to do a little housekeeping, get some things in place. So that might take a little while. You know how many deals I really want you to get done by the end of the year? It's one. One would change your life. If you could just get one pretty house, one seller, okay, now I'm assuming that you aren't, haven't done a deal. For you guys who have not done a deal or not done a pretty house deal yet, uh, if, you do, if you have one seller say yes to you, and you go out there and you sign the paperwork and you go through the whole process and you get the title run and it comes back and you resolve whatever issue was there, even though it was nothing, blah, blah, blah. And then you get the final signing and the deed over to you and you have some kind of financing in place and you, you get buy, a buyer in there uh, and the buyer gives you a, a decent-sized check or maybe a real big check and you've gone through the whole thing one time it's going to really change your view of yourself and the world and how real estate works. It did for me, right, honey? Yep, it did for us, absolutely. Yep. And so if you can get one done by the end of the year, that would be great. Now, there's people, even a simple little deal like somebody who's renting their house, and you call them and say, hey, you know, you're saying you're, rent, you're, you're renting, would you maybe rent to own it? You know, and try to get a sandwich lease purchase, something simple. Usually they don't even ask for big down payments on, a, on, a, on that type of deal. And so that's an avenue that people don't necessarily pursue as much as houses for rent and then switching them over, you know, converting them. Honey, are we going to get callers on yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. We got people in the queue. Um, so remember, if you want to get in the queue, everybody, it's star six. Uh, just hit it once. If you hit it again, you'll be out of the queue. So I do have people in the queue. I'm going to start with Mary Nunez. And we are up next. Mary Nunez, I believe, is uh, in the queue right now. Yes. Hi, Lynette. Hi, Hi. Marianne. How are you, dear? And Brian. Yes, I'm, I'm doing fine. Great seeing you guys over at Quick Start in Phoenix. Yeah, uh, that was so great. It was awesome seeing you. We're super excited, you know, uh, from the Ugly House bus trip. 
um, we actually have uh, that big house. Remember that one with the neighbor across the street that sold for $1.7 million? Oh, and wow. uh, they were asking $850,000. Um, we're, uh, we're actually a backup offer on that one right now um, mm-hmm. at 850000 and uh, it's worth $1.7 So we're pretty excited about that. There were some good ones on the Ugly House bus trip. You guys have all been to the Quick Start, so you remember that. It was kind of cool because our son Dashiell actually was one of the realtors for our bus trip. So That's he was right. on the bus with Ron, and, and uh, we were on a bus. I was on a bus. And we just had a great time out here in Phoenix. We were just at the Quick Start, and we had some good houses. There's always some very interesting houses on the bus trip. There's always a lot to be learned on that. So, and we uh, get some spectacular calls on that first night, uh, Marianne, um, when we do the closing uh, live seller calls from Sage, the pretty house deals that we're doing on the first night there. Um, right. We even did uh, Facebook Live at that one where we went over the deal structure in the following morning on some of those really good deals. A lot of subject to, no money down, um, our favorite, you know, owner finance, pretty house deals. Yeah, we definitely had some really good deals there. So do you have a deal, Marianne, to talk about right now, or what do you have? No, but I do have a a couple of questions. All right. They probably just deserve a real quick answer, but uh, if I'm talking to tenant buyers that are interested in a property that I have with a seller and they're interested in doing a a lease option, uh, I know that we can collect $50 if we choose to to have Paul Rither do the back search. Now, if there's a husband and wife, if there's a boyfriend and girlfriend, how many of those do we need to get the background search? Just the one that's making the payment, or what if there's an adult? In uh, the- husband and wife can do it together, but if it's boyfriend and girlfriend who aren't married, those are two separate applications. Exactly. Normally, we just do two applications like that, two background checks. Uh, if you're renting to people where there's more than one, uh, you know, sort of entity, like you know, it's two roommates or something like that, or anything especially if it's, if it's people who are not married because, I mean, there's a lot of times where people get divorced and you can't always anticipate that, but you do want to, you know, the married couple, their credit's going to get checked, but with the, you know, each individual, they have to run it separately. So I would try, we always try to get 50 bucks from everybody at the open house if they possibly have it so that we can get their credit run and that that's, shows their level of commitment. I talk about commitment all the time. If you can get 50 bucks out of somebody in cash, you know they're at least that serious about your property. Now, you, normally you want to get a whole bunch of money uh, from people. But usually, yeah, 50 bucks uh, from anybody who you're running their credit. Okay, so if that's, they're married, just one is needed. Yes. If- Okay, if there's a mom or dad living in house, do we need to do any on the mom and dad? Well, again, you know, your your business is yours, and I would say it's uh, if, if you are dependent upon their income. I mean, really, on a renter situation, you already told them their bad credit is okay, and mm-hmm. so uh, I don't know. It's it's maybe a feeling thing, Marianne, but. You know, you could do a background check. Who knows? I mean, maybe their mom or dad is a criminal or something. Uh, we have never had anything weird come back like that. But uh, if you guys want to be very careful, then check everybody out. And, you know, every individual who has a different, who's not married to each other 
have it, check everybody out individually. That's that's the safest approach, which Good. is what we generally preach. But remember, we we like to set it and forget it, so we're usually not pushing people through the process anyway. Okay. My other question is on um, what if a buyer is hesitant, they don't know you, then you meet them at the house and they're like, I don't know whether I want to give you two or three or five or ten thousand dollars. Do you have the, um, like an attorney write like come out of a, a letter escrow account where they could send it to him and blah, 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 or is there well, some other way to make them feel comfortable to give you the money for either well, their deposit or the down payment? I, I can take this one, honey, because uh, you're talking about like our one-hour open house um, when the buyer is there and we're getting non-refundable option deposits. We're creating a real frenzy. And we okay. have a ton of people wanting that house and giving us non-refundable option deposits. We're the ones that are pre-screening them. They're not pre-screening us. Right. Yeah, that's true. But every once in a while, actually, people will have a and and you're asking them for twenty grand in a cashier's check or something. And uh, if they run the title on the property, sometimes you. Only... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting a. Sometimes you only have a sandwich lease option or something. So, Marianne, it is important to uh, make sure, you know, that they trust you. And, yes, it's not a bad idea. Anytime you're taking a lot of money from somebody, uh, you should be doing an attorney closing. Oh, Can you yeah. still hear me? Yeah. 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 And so generally the more money you take. Now, I will say that in the Wild Wild West days, back when I started, and, you know, I started before Lynette even and before she came on board, and I was taking, I was signing properties, deeding, getting properties deeded over to me on kitchen tables with notaries standing there. I mean, and, you know, or following me to the bank and doing it there and buying houses like that with no attorneys involved at all. And, you know, you just want to protect yourself. And although I was fortunate enough not to ever have problems with anything, uh, you do want to protect yourself with attorney closings. Now, it's tempting on the selling side with your buyer because nothing is notarized, so you don't, you know, you don't have to go out of your way to get a notary. And if you meet the, them out at the house, uh, you know, it's tempting to just sign it right there and not even have an attorney closing. But if you get a lot of money, that's where you're going to make them feel a lot better. If you can, now you, I want you to get two months payments up front. So if they're willing to give you $20,000 at an open house, and sometimes, oh, they're motivated because there's three other people standing there all eager, like Lynette said, at this one-hour sale. And so if that's the case, usually you don't run into that. But there's times when you are meeting one person at the house, they're interested, and they, you know, they have some hesitation. So you get, try to get two months of payments from them then um, usually that's not such a big risk. It's not like they're handing you 20000 in a cashier's check. Um, but it's enough to make it painful if they walk away, and it's enough so that you think, well, that wasn't so bad they walked away. I got two months of payments in my pocket, and I can just sell it next weekend. So that's, you know, try to get two months of payments. And that's, you know, now that will assuage their doubts about you just collecting a huge amount. In terms of, uh, other credibility factors, guys, the way you handle yourself and the fact you have a website and a professional business card, it's, it's funny how those little 
those little things like that really actually make a big difference to customers. If you have a really nice professional business card with your picture on it that has the name of your company and your company sounds good, not some weird name, you know, something that you should have kind of a, you know, normal, good-sounding company name sounds stable and good, and that's, that helps your credibility too. But all these little factors and how you talk, how, you know, and following the scripts, that always makes you sound like you know what you're talking about. So all those factors kind of play in. And when you're taking big checks from uh, buyers, you can understand why they'd be hesitant. And so just set it up with your attorney. Tell them, okay, I'm going to have you meet with my attorney, and then you're going to sign the paperwork and, and give the check through him. And, you know, obviously you'll get all your receipts and everything, and you know, that way you'll be sure it's handled professionally. Right. I was talking about, like, just the first and second month. Uh, I know I heard one investor saying that the buyer says, well, how do I – I don't know you. I don't want to give you a first and second month. Uh, so what do you say at that point? Is well, then, then I say, you know, uh, I, I, I have this other person over here dying to give me $10,000. So I understand your hesitation, but if you're serious about the house, we need the money down like right now. And honestly, we don't run into that that much because you do usually have more than one buyer. If somebody won't give you first and last month, Marianne, they're mm -hmm. they're not someone you're ever going to deal with. Are you kidding me? I mean, they're mu they must not be serious about that house. If they right. really like that house, and you didn't do something that really made them feel like, whoa, something's wrong about this deal. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, unless you really are, you know, seem shady or something like that, you have a house. That's the thing. Sometimes credibility is kind of challenging with sellers, and they might question you a little bit about, you know, who you are and stuff. That's why it's so important to have that three-line real estate investor bio. I'm telling you, this thing, this is the shutdown Objection answer. Everybody needs to write a three-line thing, a, a three-line little story. This is the story of who you are. And when they start to say anything that makes it sound like, well, who are you or how do I know I can trust you or whatever, you just go right to your three-line real estate investor bio. Now, some of it, some your first line should have some kind of connection to the area, you know, like I've lived here a long time or I went to high school down the street here something like that, <clears throat> then the second line should be something about uh, your, your, uh, if you're doing a current job that sounds good, that makes you seem like a good person, like you're a teacher, or, or that makes you sound like uh, you're successful, like a doctor or an, you know, an accountant or anything like that, engineer is good, or, or even if you're in a field that sounds good, or you work at a plant that everybody knows. I work at Boeing. You know, if you can say something that people just click to, that's something to do with your employment, uh, and then you say, and I also do real estate investing, or, and, I, and I've also been doing real estate investing since blank, and, and, you know, or for 20 years or something, however long since you bought your first house, and hopefully it's a long time that you've been doing real estate. Now, I had a really good one that I could say was I used to run, at the time I had just recently uh, run the AmeriQuest mortgage office in downtown Phoenix. So that gives me credibility when I say that. And so, and plus I'd also been a real estate agent here in town, so I had that as well. I used to be a real estate agent, and I ran the, the uh, AmeriQuest mortgage office downtown. 
So that gives me a ton of credibility right up front. So you've got to find something like that. You're not going to have something like that probably that much, but something that gives you some kind of credibility in the real estate space. And then something, and then I always like something on the third line about how you like to help people, or you, you know, you know, you, you really enjoy helping people. You, I don't know, something along those lines. I re, I like something like that. That, and and you got to be careful with that line. But that's you know sometimes just like your little mission statement of how you know we're real dedicated to helping people in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I think that really helps with the credibility, and it's how you say it too. And so if you have it right there, bang. And you go, and they, and anything, you smell a little whiff of them, you know, doubting your credibility, and you go, oh, just to let you know a little bit about. You know. Mhm. <coughs> Excuse me, I. <laughs> I, That's funny. Yes. Yeah, so just to let you know a little bit about us, I blah 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 blah, and then you know you got your three lines, boom 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 boom, then you go right back to the closing call script. I'm telling you, people just don't ask questions after that. If you handle that, with, it's how you say it on that one. I mean, it's good to have a pretty good little three-line thing, but it's how you say it uh, is, is a huge part of that. So sellers, usually you do have maybe a little more credibility challenge because you don't have a product. It's just you on the phone and your words, and you're trying not to give them anything down. So, we're, you know, you're basically building your credibility on your website and who you are and how you present yourself and your little bio, okay? That's, that's, your, that's who you are on the phone. And so that's just very important. Now, with buyers, usually you don't have the same credibility problem because there's a house sitting there. They've looked at the house. Most people do not question your ownership of the house, although probably people should do that more. You're not going to suggest this. But, you know, you're there, the house is there. If you're doing the open house, you've got a whole bunch of banners and streamers all over the house. Nobody is, like, questioning, oh, is this your house or anything. And so you have a lot of credibility, especially with the open house. That gives you instant credibility with all buyers because you've got this big, huge, decorated open house and a whole bunch of other buyers <clears throat> in there. So that, that, that sort of cures your buyer credibility issues, but... Like I said, if it's just a house sitting there and it's on a lockbox, somebody goes sees it, and then you're going to go meet them there, and they're saying, how do I know, you know I can give you two, two months payments, that's when you go back to you. You should have that real estate investor bio. But just the fact that the house is sitting there, we really almost never get that. I, okay. I, you know. okay, Marianne? That makes, lot, that makes a lot of sense. One last real quick one. You know sure. on the purchase and sales agreement, uh, if you have like a either a subject to owner finance deal with the seller, it doesn't state about the hun- the about uh, repairs um, that the seller will cover repairs for the first thirty days if it's over a hundred dollars. Is that only um, uh, for when you get a lease purchase from the seller and then you sublease to the tenant buyer? Yes, that's right. Now, when you're buying these houses on the purchase and sale contract, guys, it says. You are buying it as, essentially you're buying it as is, uh, except for, and there's a clause on the second, on the second side, on the second page, about right. a quarter of the way down, where you would list anything that you want that seller to fix before you take ownership. Okay, okay. now it's, it's not like this 30-day thing, hey, I, I, if I call you, I want you to fix it. No, you're buying this house on, the, on a purchase and sale, so you don't need that. But you okay. do have, a t- have time. 
you're going to build in, you know, you've got time to uh, look at the property and you've got time to make sure that it's in good condition and uh, the way it's written, you can basically get out for no for any reason you want, uh, for and just lo- lose your ten bucks. Right. Um, now, do we not say uh, to the tenant buyer that the first thirty days, uh, either we just no, you do give that to the tenant buyer, and it says that in your table of contents right. lease purchase packet. Now you're going to use with your when you're selling to your buyer, you're using that long form. Uh, lease agreement. It's called the Real Property Possession and Lease Agreement, it says on the top. So when you're using that, that does say that you are guaranteeing that everything is is in good shape for 30 days, uh, and you are guaranteeing repairs. Now, you uh, technically, you've gotten that from your seller, too. Um, so technically, you know, depending on how quickly you put them in there, that 30 days bleeds over from your seller's 30 days. But, you know, hopefully by this time you've known if anything's wrong and they've done whatever you had to. So 30 days, uh, once the tenant is installed, I thought it was 30 days uh, once the tenant is installed if anything happens. So would I yes. be liable yeah. to pay for any repairs if I got an owner yeah. finance? I would? Yes, for 30 days, yes, yes. Okay. That's why if you have doubts about a house, even if you're lease purchasing it, you should always do an inspection, especially on older houses. Now, you you can say, look, I don't have that much at risk, but uh, especially if you're not paying anything down and, you know, their money is being paid down to you, so you have no initial outgo and all initial income. Right. Uh, you know, do you want to do an inspection? Well, I we always do inspections on the, anything. Now, most of the houses we buy were built... Uh, you know, a lot of them after 2000, and we don't have mold out here. It's super dry, uh, and unless something, I mean, we have our, our guys go through and look in, at what they need to repair, but we don't hire a separate inspector usually unless right. uh, unless there's a red flag. You guys don't necessarily have to hire inspectors. If you have a good contractor, uh, some of those contractors used to be inspectors. They know a lot of, they know everything the inspectors know. And if they do a thorough job, that's the thing. It's more about thoroughness. I mean, they have to look, and they have to look in the attic and stuff like that. And usually a contractor's not going to do all that stuff the first time through. So uh, that's that's more of the thing. An inspector's going to sit there and climb up in the crawl spaces, you know, under the house and in the attic and everything, and really look at the thing, where the contractor a lot of times doesn't do that. And they just say, okay, it looks like this, 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 blah. And then they find it when they're doing the job. And that's that's a deal with mold and stuff. If you guys have mold issues, you know, you want a contractor who's going to do a really good inspection or you can hire an inspector because uh, that, that's one of those things that can really mess up a deal. So anytime you do an owner, finance, or subject to, you have an inspection, you pay for an inspection. Well, no. If you have doubts now, Marianne, don't say I said that. I no, said if you have specific, if you have specific doubts about a property, but usually you're okay if you have a good contractor who does your basic pretty house polishes. You know who does some flooring and fix-ups and and paint and drywall fixes and you know basic plumbing and just the contractor guy who walks through. Normally, that's sufficient. He's going to catch everything. Yeah, so we're, the answer is we're not usually doing an inspection. No, we're not usually doing an inspection. Oh, but okay. if you have questions, I mean, if it's an old house, if it was built in 1940, 
I tell you, if it was built, you know, maybe before 1970 or something, it's probably a good idea maybe to do an inspection. But well, but even, even this house on the Ugly Health Tour at the Quick Start Real Estate School, you know, it's got 100000 in repairs, but we have so much equity in this house that our contractors yeah. are going to walk through. We're not even doing an inspection on that one. It needs 100000 in repairs. So yeah, I, and that's exactly right. Part of the deal will sort of define whether or not how much you want to mess with that, too. So we just really ask the seller, is there anything that I need to know about the house that needs to be, that might be seriously yes. repaired? Yes, well, and you guys right. should all be asking. That's a good point, Marianne. And it, even though it says on the contract that they're supposed to get, make all material disclosures to you, anything uh-huh. affecting materially affecting the value of the property should be uh-huh. disclosed, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it. And so, you know, you do have, and, and it, when your contractor walks through, you've got time, you've got 10 days, to at least 10 days to go through the title, and you've probably written 30 to 60 days to close. Any time during that period, you've got to get your, you know, if this thing needs some repairs, or if you have doubts about it and you think it needs inspecting, you've got to get your people in there, and then if there's an issue, you can, you know, bring it back to them and uh, or write it in the contract and say, look, this is what we need to have done mm-hmm. before we close. And, well, you know, yeah, but like, like Lynette said, if they're giving you a free house, if you're buying it subject to and no money down, you're not yeah. going to ask them for a bunch of stuff. You're just okay. going to fix it, usually. All right. Thank you very much. I know you have others on the line. Thank you. you, Thank you. All right. We- Marianne, you have good questions. They always lead to, you know, important answers. And We appreciate it. Yeah, okay. good, good points. Thank Good job, Marianne. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Right. Okay. So we have next in the queue is uh, Jay Blanford. Let's see here. Or Blandino. Hello. Yeah. Who is it? Who is, this is who Jim. Is Jim. Oh, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. No, Jim. 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 Hey, Jim. How are you doing? Okay. That's great. What city are you in, Jim? Yeah, where are you from? Fort Pierce, Florida. Awesome. Okay, you got a question? Yeah. Uh, seller asked me, uh, he was reading over the uh, lease option contract, and he says, uh, well, how come I got to uh, name you as uh, additional loss payee on insurance? You're talking about a subject to deal. Huh? Well, no. Are you no. talking about a, a house that you're getting a mortgage on, or is it free and clear, or what are you talking about? That, that uh, okay, he, here's the deal oh, on that. Now, if you are lease purchasing a property from a seller, you may have an equity position in the property. If you if you are agreeing to pay them, let's say, 200000 you got a decent deal on this house. Maybe you actually, usually we do not like you guys putting money into a house that you're only lease purchasing it. I, I will tell you that uh, we've done that before. So, but even if you don't, you're going to have some kind of equity stake in this property over time. Uh, if you have a lease purchase, we usually like to get, you know we always like to get five years or more. If, depending on how you're going to write the lease purchase, the, the simplest little lease purchase that almost everybody can bite on is two years with a renewal for two years. 
So if you think they're kind of hesitant about going on a longer term, you can pitch that. Now, remember, if you pitch a two-and-two, you're not getting anything more than four years. So if you can pitch longer, uh, the longer the better. But let's say you get five years on this property. Now, you only owe them uh, $200,000, and it's possible if you've written this sandwich sandwich lease purchase properly that you're going to have a lot more than more, more equity than you think because you're also going to get the value of the principal buy down. Okay, the principal reduction is going down during this period. So if your lease purchase buyer buys in five years, how much do you think that mortgage has gone down in five years? It's probably you know 10000 or maybe more depending on how much it started at and where you're paying on it. So I don't want to. I don't know. I never know how complicated to get on these calls, and how many of you guys are really taking notes or could keep up with this. But if you are writing a contract, a sandwich lease purchase, you either write what you're buying the house for. So if you're buying it for two fifty, you write two fifty. Or if you want to try to get the value of all the principal reduction during the lease period, you write purchase price to equal mortgage payoff amount at time of cash out closing okay now that's considering that that's assuming the house is mortgaged or has a mortgage on it and that you're you're basically buying it for the mortgage now this is where it gets a little complicated but you're also going to add the difference between what the property is mortgaged at and what you agreed to buy it for so let's say you agreed to buy it for 250 right so now they owe 200 on the mortgage so you're going to have you're going to write down under this section you're going to write purchase price to equal mortgage payoff amount plus $50,000 at time of cash out closing. So that way whatever the mortgage goes down you'll basically right now you owe them 250 cuz you owe them the mortgage is 200 and you owe them 250 so you owe them 50 over the mortgage. But this way you'll always owe them 50 over the mortgage when you cash out. And so the mortgage is going to go down to who knows what, maybe 180. So you might make 20,000 more on this deal if you write the purchase price that way. Okay, um, so that's that's the thing. Uh, but you know, depending on how you write it on lease purchase, you're going to have some kind of equity stake. If you write it that way, you're going to have a pretty decent size equity stake. So let's say the house burns down. Okay, well, oh my gosh, the seller is the only one named as the lost payee. He, meantime, you owe him less than what the property's worth, and or or will take to repair, and you know you and you're owed all this extra money, but you're not named as a lost payee. So that's why we name you. Even though you're just a lease sandwich lease purchase, you're going to build up an equity stake in this property over the years that you are sandwich lease purchasing it, and you need to be protected. Okay. Well. It, do you have if a question I about that? Seller, I would be thinking, well, this is incentive for you to burn down my house. <laughs> Are you well, a pyromaniac? That's what he said, actually. He said that? Well, yep. you know what? You're not going to even get replacement costs. That is a strange seller that he would go there. I've never heard that. I wow. have never heard something like that. You know, listen. I, I recommend that you get named as lost pay on this. If you are buying the house and your name is on the house, you absolutely, obviously must be on the insurance because whoever's name is on the deed, guys, that's a kind of a rule of thumb. Whoever's name is yeah. on the deed needs to have the is responsible for the insurance 
and the taxes. So if you're buying it and the property is in your name, I insist, obviously, that you take care of this and you're going yeah, to pay. However, if, if that was the breaking point, if everything else about this deal was great, Jim, and it sounds like, you know, I don't know if the seller is totally on board, but if everything else was okay, you could probably get away and be fine without being named as the lost payee on this deal. I would not necessarily make it a deal breaker, but uh, if you, you know, uh, if the, is that the only thing that's stopping that deal from going forward? Mm, Jim? No. Okay, so there's no. other issues. If that was the only issue, you know, I would concede the issue. If, if everything else was great and it was a good deal. Yeah, well, that's and sometimes, guys, sellers and buyers have weird little things, and they just can't see past some little thing. Yeah. And you can't. That's that's why we call it creative financing. You can't be so hung up on every little point. How do I how do I know the the property is going to be kept up? I says, well, we're going to get somebody in with a a, a sizable down payment, and and somebody that we vetted and that you approve. He goes, they can still trash it. I no you listen here's what you say you say that is none of you don't have to worry about that because I'm guaranteeing the repairs so if they trash it I'm going to pay for it you don't have to worry about it you never tell people that you're getting a sizable down payment or that uh, we do not recommend you tell people you're getting a sizable down payment from your lease purchase buyer or go into it to that degree uh and you really just want to say hey he don't worry to, about it I'm going to pay for everything if there's any damage to the house, I'm going to take care of it. I will pay for, I'll pay for whatever, anything that goes wrong with the house. Don't you worry. Okay. Okay. And then basically, you will pay for it out of their, the large deposit that they gave you. However, the chances that anybody's going to do any kind of significant damage to your house is very small because they know you have ten thousand or twenty thousand or thirty thousand of their money and they're not getting it back and so they're invested in this house and they want to own this house so it's it's very rare that you get a property a damaged property back and brian i just did want to clarify something for all the listeners when jim was first presenting his question it does make a big difference i didn't realize he was talking about a founder's lease purchase because like brian said if you're buying it um the house and you're on the deed then of course you need to be um insured I just want to make that clear. Right. That's why I was asking if it was something he was buying with owner financing, you know, yeah. or if it was just a lease purchase. Well, if lease purchase, uh, I'm not on the deed, am I? Right. Right. Oh, That's and you know, point. guys, there's certain states like Florida, and you're in Florida, Jim, that it's uh, – I don't mind people having their uh, default strategy be sandwich lease purchases. Now, in Arizona where we are – it literally cost me $17 to buy a house. It's two, you know, recording fees. And so we have no transfer taxes, doc stamps, anything like you have in Florida. So uh, you may want the easiest strategy and the cheapest clothes uh, is to do sandwich lease purchases. And if you can get three, four, five years on a sandwich lease purchase or more, that's, uh, you know, it's a quick, easy strategy. It's easy to explain to folks. And especially if someone's already thinking about maybe renting the house out, this is a much better option because we cover all the maintenance and the repairs. Who you know, and that's not a deal with any other renter. Yeah. Okay. 
Good question, Jim. Yes, all good. All right. Thank you. Good job, Jim. You're welcome. We got another caller in the queue, honey. Great. It's unknown, unknown. So I'm not sure where you're from. What's your name? Hello? Hello. Oh, where are you from? What's your name? Yes, hi. My name is Stan, and I'm from Buffalo, New York. Hey, how are you doing? Stan, did you say? Yes, Stan. Stan, Okay. And uh, the question is kind of tough, uh, at least for me. I couldn't uh, decide what to do with it. Well, basically, here is the situation with the sandwich lease, right? Uh, let's say you find the buyer. You already mm-hmm. got non-refundable option deposit from him. You already spent it, whatever, right? And let's say at the time of closing, when um, your buyer is ready and his lawyers are ready, everything is ready, you ready to go, but your seller decided to disappear on you for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, in the hospital, he just uh, changed his mind. He realized that value of his property rose so much high that he's pretty much giving it away for free. He changed his mind. He's saying, I'm not going to close. So what you're going to do in that uh, situation? Well, the problem with that, and that can happen in an appreciating market when they feel like they walked away from a lot of equity. And usually they want you to bargain with them, but if you even open up the door a crack, it's a bad idea. Say we have a contract and we expect you to uh, actually fulfill your obligations according to the contract. Now they're going to say, no, I don't want to do that. And so you're going to have an attorney, and this is going to be your first step. You're going to have your attorney write a letter to them saying that you demand specific performance of their obligations as laid out in the contract. Now, sometimes the lawyer letter is enough, and you know you can threaten them with, uh, obviously, you don't, it's tricky when you start threatening people, uh, but you should say something about... Uh, you know, you, you, that uh, you don't want this to go farther and you don't want to have to take this in the court and whatnot. And, you know, your attorney's going to play this how they were going to play it. Some, some attorneys are pretty aggressive with this and some not so much. You know, hopefully you have a good attorney. Um, then, and if they don't respond to the letter and to the, to the demand for specific performance from your attorney, uh, you might have to su- actually file suit. Now, sometimes right when, they, when you file suit and they get the notification, then sometimes they cave right there. So sometimes you can get them uh, at that point. Now, obviously, you're spending some money along the way with your attorney, and hopefully you have a good attorney and he's not, you know, not going to overcharge you or anything. Uh, but this you know, can start to cost you some money. And at some point, uh, you know, you've got to get it in your mind what you think is, you would pay to get out of this. How much would I give this guy? As much of, you know, as, as aggravating as it is, how much would I maybe give this guy to uh, go and execute this deal? But don't, you know, I mean, threat, you know, I would take it to two steps or three steps and maybe filing suit before you start to talk settlement because once you start to talk settlement, that opens up a whole can of worms, and then they think they, you know, then they want everything. So sometimes that's a, that's a mistake. All right, so, now I'm going to tell you that the remedy for this early on, and if you guys are doing deals like this and you find the right attorney, what you're going to want to do is when you do a sandwich lease purchase, you're going to ask the seller to put the deed in escrow. 
and you're going to say, I, I, we, what we do is we put this in escrow, and the escrow instructions dictate that when I have fulfilled these conditions, which is basically paid them off in cash or brought in you know, $256,000 cash by blank date, when I fulfill these conditions, this deed is going to be executed. The paperwork that's already pre-signed by the seller is going to be executed. Okay, so they have no say in it, and it's already a done deal. It's in escrow. They can't pull it out, and they can't say no. Do you understand what I said? Because that's really important to all you guys who are doing sandwich lease purchases yeah, in appreciating markets. Stan, did you understand what I just said there? Yes, yes, I, okay. I did. Um, so if you did. can talk to your attorney. Do you have a good attorney, Stan? No, I'm still searching. <laughs> it's very hard. Okay, well, uh, you know, how much money uh, – What's the what's your back end profit on this deal? No, no, no. I'm not talking any about any specific deal. Oh, okay. Okay. I, here I thought you were describing a specific deal, guys. Just go up front now. If you got yourself in trouble, like I just went through that whole scenario, that those are kind of your remedies after the fact. And there's thing there's things you can do, and especially if you have a decent attorney and can that can write a decent letter and all, and the rest of this stuff. Okay, sometimes, guys, you can write a better letter. I write much better letters than my attorney, and I just basically write the letter usually and, and then just put a, he puts it on his letterhead. But I will tell you that uh, the, the course that I want you to pick up front is when you're doing these sandwich lease purchases, try to get the seller to agree to sign the deed and just put the deed in escrow. And then now, remember, the escrow yep. instructions are going to say that if you do not execute... Uh, your obligations according to the contract that the deed will re, you know will revert to the seller so they you know make them make sure they understand that so you know they don't get all nervous you know that this thing's floating out there it's obviously going to be theirs and it's theirs the whole time the only thing is that it goes to you if you execute all these conditions according to the contract right yeah that sounds like a solution thank you so much yes. I mean that's you best, Stan. It took okay. me a while to find that solution, by the way, guys. Right. Um, thank you for the question. Yeah, great question, Stan. Uh, we got three thank minutes you. left. One more person in the queue. All right. So we got next right here, area code 917. Or, I'm sorry. You know what? They just left the queue, honey. Okay. All right, so we are done with the queue. So I guess we're going to wrap it up unless nobody else has any last minute Did anyone bring in, did we get leads today? I did not get any lead sheets. All right, so okay, guys, that's what next goal. Here's our goal for next alumni call. A month from now, try to get some lead sheets and send them in, some lead sheets we can talk about. And if you guys are thinking about the mentoring or if you're in the mentoring program, you're usually what you're talking about is either leads, you know, lead sheets, and I was talking about leads earlier, what constitutes a lead. Uh, so you want to be talking about leads, or you're going to be talking about why you don't have leads, and who wants to talk about that. So just get some leads, guys. Send us some leads so we can uh, talk about deals. I love doing deal structuring. And get back to the quick start. The quick start's always an awesome place because. You, if you bring leads in there, Lynette and I are always there calling your leads and turning them into deals for you. And it's amazing how many students over the years have gotten their first deal or their first pretty house deal from bringing in a lead to the quick start and Lynette and it I is, calling. It, it's amazing. And yes. uh, it's 
very exciting. And just to get that first deal, then it's a snowball effect. Another deal and another deal. We love it. That's right. So we hope to see you guys real soon at a quick start event or another global event. We're at everything. Um, you know, and hey, the summit's coming up. Uh, the sum, don't, and Ron, I know, is really pushing. Oh, yeah. Yes, February 14th. You've got to come to Jacksonville, Florida, the summit. Yeah, it's, it's actually right over Valentine's Day, February 14th, 15th, 16th. And it's in Jacksonville. And uh, Gene Simmons is going to be there from KISS. And uh, they're going to have a lot of fun and, and a big banquet. And guess what's happening at the banquet? Uh-oh. They're going to do a roast. But who are they going to roast? We've roasted Ron twice. And now he decided to, he got the bright idea of roasting us. Oh, my God. It's going to be, yes, it's going to be a wolf roast. Uh, so that will be really fun. Uh, that's even more reason to come. Just don't, just skip the banquet, though. Just skip that part of, the, of everything. No, don't come and see it. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll see you guys hopefully at Summit or at a quick start real soon coming up. We love these events, and it's great to come and see Ron. Ron's still coming out with us at every event, and uh, so it's great. To I, actually, I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida right now, actually. Uh, yes, that's yep. right. I'm in Arizona, and Lynette's in Jacksonville. Ron LeGrand just got done teaching his commercial boot camp, and I'm here for another special meeting uh, with Ron. And um, so um, we're looking forward to seeing you guys at the Quick Start Real Estate School. And um, you can repeat for free for the next 12 months. And after that, it's uh, just $500. And there's always something new. We keep you on the cutting edge. That's right. So and, sure of course, the alumni is coming up uh, paired with our Taking Action event. That will be uh, next year. And we'll keep you in touch with when that's going to be. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at a Quick Start Real Estate School real soon. And we'll see you next uh, four weeks from now on this call. So Yeah. And Turn in some leads so we can go over some more deals. Hey, wait. Are we going to be in Australia on this call next month? Oh, my goodness. Okay, Guys, yeah. I think it's possible that we may be with Ron and Bev and our kids in Australia or New Zealand in a month because we're going over Thanksgiving. We're oh, going man, uh, on a cruise. This should be awesome. We're flying to Sydney, and then we're cruising all around. We're cruising to Tasmania and New Zealand and uh, Melbourne and all that. So it's going to be uh, awesome. We'll, we'll have some video and we'll show you guys something on the Gold Club. Oh, we might get something on the Gold Club this week about our Cuba trip that we got back from. I forgot to tell you that. We edited a video for from our Cuba trip with Ron, and we're going to send that over there. So maybe we'll have that this week. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. We just love doing these on our alumni calls. And we'll see you soon. Ron the Grand says hello, and he can't wait to see you at the alumni. Awesome. See you soon. Okay. Right. Bye, guys. Bye.